Matthew chapter 9, we're to, we're, we've been talking about wineskins and new. New is the idea for the entire year. And being new wineskins, being that new creation of Jesus Christ, so that he can pour his new life into us, not into our old selves. Let's go ahead and read chapter 9. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse, verse 14. We read, then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wines into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. You may be seated. I find it, as I, as I read, you know, we read this passage every week, and that's our main text for this series. Uh, it's a, a, a broad series, wineskins, and within that series, we have other small series that I'm preaching. And as I read that, every time I, I read that passage of new wineskins, something new jumps out to me. And what jumped out to me about the way Jesus said this is that he's very matter-of-fact. When he says nobody does this, Jesus just kind of comes at us with, it's just common sense, right? It's just common sense. You don't put new wine into an old wineskin. Nobody would do that. It doesn't make any sense to do that. It wouldn't work. That would, the old wineskin wouldn't handle it. So when we come to our new life in Christ, quite honestly, what are we thinking? Thinking that we can put the new wine, the new teaching, the new ways of Jesus into our old lives. It just doesn't work. Now, as we roll into the new this year here at New Life, and we look to make the changes in our church that we're talking about making, the new philosophy and new things that we're going to be doing, it's important, I believe, that we have a clear understanding of what a church is supposed to be, who and what a church is for, and what the primary purpose of the church, as well as some of the important qualities of the church are. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the local church, who the local, local church is for. That's, in fact, that's the title of this message. Who is the local church for? Even before COVID, church was going through some unhealthy changes and cycles. Church was steadily losing ground to other pursuits in society. Attacks on the validity of the Bible, the purpose of the church and the relevance of God and the importance of faith were not only increasing, but they were gaining momentum and gaining ground. In fact, pastors were, were falling into this category. There were pastors and national leaders that were questioning the validity of the scriptures, questioning the validity of many things of faith. And we've seen many, uh, many prominent pastors throughout, Massachusetts, throughout the country over the last several years just go completely off the reservation and become heretics. Uh, one uh, wrote the book Love Wins, and Love Wins, if you've read the book, I don't know if you've even heard of the book, if you've read it, Oprah had him on, and he, his book was the, all the rage for a while. It's completely heretical to the scriptures. It said he, he believes that everybody will eventually make it to heaven. Even people that go to hell will eventually go to heaven because it's just a matter of time before they accept Jesus. Well, that's just not teaching, but that's what's happened in churches and in the evangelical community over the last several years. And then we added COVID to the mix. 
And when we do that, we have a serious challenge. Not only are we trying to reach the world with the gospel message, now we have to turn the tide of people that have been leaving the church. We now have to find a way to deal with another group that has been out of the church habit for the last year. And a group of people who have become more comfortable not being in church. Satan has done a great job of dividing the church along political, ethical, moral, and theological lines. You know, we have called ourselves, <laughs> we would qualify as an evangelical church. And I have no problem with this. I'm going to move this. This is like right in my eye line. I have no problem with that because the, the term evangelical simply means um, believing in the word of God and believing that we have a responsibility to share our faith with the world and tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them that they need to accept him as their savior if they want to go to heaven for all eternity. So I have no problem with the, with the term evangelical, but evangelical has become a tag, a political tag, and it was never intended to be. In fact, if you are called an evangelical, if you tell people you're evangelical, they will probably tell you exactly who they thought you voted for for president, and it wasn't the one that won. <laughs> Well, that's a problem. When the church becomes a political entity and becomes identified by our politics, we have a problem. And when that has become our focus, when we, get, we begin to look for, at, to society as the answer to our problems, and when we begin to make social causes the purpose of our church, then we have a problem. And those are some of the things that have been happening over the last several years. Pastors and worship leaders have become, uh, were becoming celebrities instead of servants. And church ministries were trending towards that social justice and relevance and standing in society rather than reaching people with the truth and standing against sin. Compromise with the world has diluted the message and the purpose of the gospel and the purpose of the church to the point where in many cases what passes for church nowadays is pretty much unrecognizable as compared to what the New Testament talks about a church being. The last few years we've seen, and I'm not picking on it, please don't, I'm not picking on anybody because I'm not, I'm not going to name names and that's the reason why. But we have to accept truth, we have to accept facts, and we have, I believe we have to point it out because it shows a much deeper problem in the church. Over the past several years, if you, if you Google um, religious leaders fall, whatever, whatever you want to use, you'll have no problem seeing a list of people. In fact, there's a Wikipedia page that talks about uh, religious leaders and pastors who have had amazing falls from grace, as they're called. But over the last several years, and the last year of COVID, we've seen incredible falls of pastors because of immorality, because of financial issues, and because of burnout. And I just wanted to, I did this in the first service, I'll say this in the second service as well. When it comes to the finances here at the church, we, I, I want you to understand that when you give money to New Life to support this ministry, I believe that's holy money. That's God's money. That's not my money. Now, I draw a salary. I have a church that blesses me with a salary. And I appreciate that. But that money is not mine to do with as I see fit. 
That's money that has been given by the people of this church to support the ministry of this church, to grow people in their faith and to reach the world for Jesus Christ. But that's not what has been happening. And financial impropriety has caused the fall of many churches and many pastors. They get themselves into a situation where they're just going in. And I know pastors who do this. They just go and they just take money out of the plate as they see fit and do with it. That's not what we do here. When you, when you support this church financially, that is to support this ministry, not to do anything else. Pastors, have, and part of the problem is that pastors have been raised in stature to almost hero status in some areas. They've been raised to dangerous and unhealthy levels, and because of their falls, shame has been brought on the church. And whether it's happened in our church or not, we need to understand that we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the issue. We have to deal with the perception of people in society towards us. And we have to admit the fact that right now, evangelicalism, the church, the true church in America, is not seen as a place of great love and compassion. Needless to say, we have work to do. And all of this flows into why we are doing what we're doing and going in a new direction in many areas of ministry here at New Life. This morning, I want to point out three important facts from the New Testament, uh, from, from the Bible, about the New Testament church. And actually, it's going to be uh, this morning and next Sunday as well. So this is a two-week sermon. And I want to point out some important facts about the New Testament church that Jesus established that are indisputable. Some important facts to know that are just indisputable from the Word of God. Now, some important facts about the New Testament and the, the local church. Before we get into this, let's look at some of these. As far as the New Testament and the local church goes, the four Gospels were written to record the foundation of the local church. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written to record the foundation of the local church. What's the foundation of the local church? Or should I say, who is the foundation of the local church? Jesus, right? The foundation of the local church is Jesus. So the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written to record for us the, the life, the birth, the life, the ministry, and the death of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts was written to record the history of the early church, its establishment, and its growth. Paul's 13... Epistles. Now, we'll say 13 because those are the, that's the amount that we know for sure Paul wrote. I personally believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, other people feel differently. I believe it has a very Pauline style to it. Um, and it just makes sense that Paul would be the author of the book of Hebrews. But it's not definitive. So we'll just use Paul's 13 known epistles. Those 13 epistles are all letters that are written to local churches or pastors of local churches, and they address relationships, doctrine, practice, leadership, and roles within the local church. The book of James is written to various churches, but covers activities conducted by a local church, including true religious actions and equality of all members. First and second Peter. Once again, these are two letters that are written to various churches and describe how believers should interact with each other within the local church. 
First, second, and third John are all written by John, the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. And they're all written to local churches. And it challenges them to reject false teaching, express love in all they do, and be unified as a church. The book of Jude is written to Christians within local churches and stresses the need to reject false teaching. So it's written to local churches covering the need to reject false teaching. And the Gospel of John, or the John wrote the revelation for Christians in local churches both during his time and especially in the future. In fact, if you remember as you've read Revelation at the very beginning, in the first, couple cha- first few chapters, Jesus has a very special message to seven individual local churches. He has a message for each local church. The whole point of this is to show that the New Testament is all about local church. The New Testament is all about local church. The local church is God's chosen vessel and chosen vehicle through which to reach this world. Now, let me give you some pertinent statistics about church in America right now. And for the purposes of these statistics, the term practicing Christian identifies... Practicing Christians are people who identify as Christian. They agree strongly that faith is very important in their lives and have attended church within the past month. I would take issue with that last part because I don't believe a practicing Christian is just somebody who occasionally attends church. I believe a practicing Christian is someone who is in church. And I know over this last year, it's been very difficult to be here live. Um, You could put in there, uh, not just somebody who attends church live, but somebody who comes to church, uh, who watches church, who has watched church online. But a practicing Christian basically is someone who is invested in the ministry of a local church. In 2000, 45% of Americans qualified as practicing Christians. In March of 2020, right before we shut down, right before the world shut down, 25% of Americans were practicing Christians. So in just 20 years, we lost 20% of practicing Christians in America. Of the 20% that fell off, 43% became non-practicing Christians, which meant they were still people of faith, but they just didn't go to church and they weren't connected to a local church. 30% became non-Christians. This is where we get... I mean, 43% not going to church is troubling. But now 30% of those people now consider themselves to be non-Christian. And then 11% of those people that dropped out of church have become atheist, agnostic, or a new term that has been developed called none. And those are people who, cl- who declare nothing as far as faith goes. They call themselves, they're called nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N. Catholic nun. <clears throat> In the 1990s, 43% of Americans attended church weekly. In March of 2020, only 30% of Americans attended church Weekly. Overall, it was a drop of 36%, basically one-third. In 1993, 34% of Americans read their Bible. This will be surprising to you. In 2020, 35%, so it actually went up a little bit. 
And from 1996 to 2010, 83% of Americans prayed weekly. In 2020, that number dropped. It dropped to 69%, but that is not the precipitous drop that we see in other statistics as far as faith goes. What am I trying to say with these statistics and the local church? While many people maintain a facade of faith, they have no attachment to the ministry of the kingdom of God through a local church. And that has become fashionable. That has become a very fashionable thing. In fact, many of you, you can, if you're honest, you've got friends that say, I don't need to be in church. Now, it's going to be a beautiful week. If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube and you're not from New England, you have no idea what it means to be 60, what's it going to be, like 64 degrees today? And this whole week is going to be in the 60s. I'm breaking out the suntan lotion. I'm going to have to start wearing a hat because a bald guy in the sun equals a headache. So, but I'm going to throw my bike in the back of my pickup truck one of these days, and I'm going to ride up to East Hampton and jump on the Monhan Trail. And the Monhan Trail rides from East Hampton through Northampton across into Hatley. And if I'm ambitious, I may ride all the way into Amherst. But I probably won't, Jimmy, because if I ride all the way to Amherst, I have to turn around and ride all the way back. That's a lot of riding, okay? So I build up to that over the summer. And I carry a little bit of, when I, you don't have to understand, a guy my size, when I ride a bike, it's like a normal person wearing a backpack filled with stuff, okay? So, but it's beautiful out there, and I think it's wonderful, and people say, you know, I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God anywhere, and that's true. You can worship God anywhere, but what people try to say is, I can worship God anywhere, so I don't need to be in church. Well, let me tell you, I'll jump on my bike and I'll ride that Monhan Trail. And I'm like a lot of you. In our church, we have a lot of people that hike. We have a lot of people that like to walk. And people that like to put on music. And maybe you listen to worship music. I, I, see, I just downloaded C.C. Winans' new CD. Anybody listen to C.C. Winans' new CD? I know Mary, uh, Mary had, uh, messaged me about that. Great CD. It's a, like a, a live concert. Uh, a lot of worship music there. Um, listening to, to uh, the latest um, Hillsong CD. Uh, their, their live CD. It's awesome. It's great. And I'll throw that on and I'll listen to that while I'm riding and I'll have a little worship service while I'm riding on my bike. It takes away from the pain in my legs. Or because I'm a pastor and because I'm a geek that way, I'll put on some sermons and I'll listen to sermons while I'm riding my bike. And I'll, uh, it's just, it's a time for me to commune with God and have a worship time. It's true that I can worship God anywhere but it's also true that he's commanded me to worship him in a local church. He's also commanded me to be part of a local church. So if you're going to take one command of God, you have to take the other. You have to take them both in totality. So we have to understand that just because people have a facade of spirituality does not mean that they are connected to a local church. And that's where we're missing the point. And that's where we're struggling and having our problems, I believe. Why does all of this matter? Now, here's where things get a little, this is where it's going to start getting a little bit, not really tense, but a little bit pointed. How about we use that term, okay? It's going to get a little pointed here. Why does all of that matter? Why does everything I've just said, why does that matter? Few different reasons. First of all, it's undeniable that the local church is God's created vehicle through which to reach the world. Undeniable. It's undeniable. If you want to have that conversation, I will more than, I'll be more than happy 
to have that conversation. Why? Because I know that you can't prove your point. If you don't believe the local church is applicable or important in the life of a Christian, I know that you can't prove that point from the Bible. I know it. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know you can't prove that. I know that I can give you scripture. After, in fact, I just did. The reason I went through the whole, what the whole New Testament, who that was written to and what it was written about, is to show you that the, the local church is all through the New Testament. It's God's chosen vehicle to reach the world with the gospel. It is undeniable. It's undeniable that the local church matters to God, and therefore it should matter to us. It's undeniable that the local church matters to God, and because it matters to God, it matters to us. Remember we, when we did our fast back in January? Said, you give something up for this fast. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Well, if it matters to God, it needs to matter to us. Therefore, the local church should be important to us. It's undeniable that a large portion of believers take their local church for granted, don't understand what a local church truly is, or don't realize or intentionally don't want to realize that God has commanded us to be part of a local church. That is undeniable, that the mentality of the average Christian about the local church today is not what the Bible says it should be. And why is all that true? Because it's, it's an issue of laziness, apathy, ignorance, or willful disobedience and arrogance. Why people don't connect with a local church. There's no good reason there's no good reason. There's no biblical. Let's put it this way. There's no biblical reason for not connecting with a local church. A couple of provocative Pastor John statements. There is absolutely no excuse for a true follower of Jesus to not be an active member of a local church. The key word there is active. There is absolutely no excuse. Second one, for a true follower of Jesus, not being active in a local church is sin and willful disobedience and rebellion towards God. Man, that, Pastor John, that's harsh, but it's true. <laughs> I know it's harsh. I understand it's harsh, but it's true. And I'm going to show you that over these next two weeks. And now that we've cleared the air about the issues facing the local church, let's Let's get some answers to what really matters to individual believers and Christian families and the local church. What does the Bible tell us that a New Testament church is supposed to be? What does the Bible tell us that a New Testament church is supposed to be? First of all, a biblical New Testament church is a local church. A biblical New Testament church is a local church. Once again, I just went through all of that, showing what the, who the Bible was written to, what the Bible was written for, what the Bible was written about. Paul wrote 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy are basically, 1 2 Timothy and Titus are epistles that are written primarily to pastors. My father, as my father pastored through the years, uh, he read 1 Timothy just about every week that he was a pastor. Why? Because 1 Timothy talks to pastors and tells us what we're supposed to be like, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to lead. And then 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are written to churches so that you can know what your pastor is supposed to be like, what to expect out of your pastor, how to choose and pick a pastor, 
that you can follow, that can lead. And Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, these things, I write these things to you hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That last phrase is really what we want to focus in on. The pillar and foundation of the truth. That's what Paul says the New Testament church is. The local church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, we know that the foundation, we covered this earlier in this sermon, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone, right? The, the, the very cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. So we're not saying the local church is the foundation of truth. The local church is the foundation and pillar. What does a pillar do? A pillar hold thing, holds something up, right? A pillar holds something up. It, it lifts something up and provides stability. The church, the local church, is the foundation and pillar of the truth. In other words, the local church holds up the truth to its community and to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. In fact, Paul said, I'm writing to you so that you will understand how you are to conduct yourself as a member of a local church. Did you know that the Bible covers those things? Did you know that the Bible covers the ethical, moral, and societal ways that Christians should treat each other? In fact, what I said about finances earlier, that's not my way of doing it. That's the Bible's way of doing it. That's what the Bible says that a church should do with its finances. So the Bible covers all of that. The New Testament tells us how we are to conduct ourselves as members of a church and as a church body itself. And we are supposed to do all of the things that we do for one reason only, to hold up the truth to the world. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You see, when we put this all together, we understand that everything that we do in our church should be all funneled through to one ultimate purpose of lifting up Jesus and his message to the world. The reason we disciple each other, the reason we get discipled ourselves, the reason we grow and have Bible studies is not so that we can spend time together. It's not so that we can learn about the Bible. The reason we have Bible studies is so that we can learn about the Bible, apply it to our lives, and become better Christians, better servants, and better testimonies of the truth to the world. Because that's what it's all about. We want to be better servants, and being a servant of God means that we show Jesus to the world. <clears throat> Now, here's the next big question. I think this is, I think this is part, probably, it's probably the, the biggest struggle that has been, that has taken place within churches over the, in the last 10, 20 years or so. Answering this question, who is the local church, or who was the local church created and established for. I think that's probably a question that people, that pastors have, have struggled with, pastors have battled with, churches have battled with. Who is it for? Because it's been very popular over the last 25, 30 years 
to have seeker-friendly services. Everything is seeker-friendly. And I get that, man. We, it's important. It's important that we have a love and a passion for people who don't know Jesus. It is important. Don't get me wrong. But that's a purpose of the local church. Who was the church established and created for? In the biblical sense. Now, let me give you this quick disclaimer. Everyone is welcome in church. All right? Everyone is welcome in church. One of the battles we fight here at New Life is that East Long Meadow is not very welcoming to people of color. Right? That's, that's just a fact of the matter, man. That's just a fact of the matter. It doesn't matter. If, if you are not white, there is an element of this town that has a real problem with you. And that's just honesty. My two sons, I can tell you over and over and over again. In fact, there's a woman running for, school, for the school board. She'll be voting in, she'll be, the, the election is in June. I, she's walking the town. She's walking all the streets of the town to get to know people. It's a great, great thing to do and you know, a great way to get her campaign out there. I went and talked to her. I said, I only care about one thing. This is East Long Meadow. It's a pretty wealthy town. Let's just be honest. This town is, the, the kids are going to, they're, they're going to get a good education. We're going to get a new high school. My two sons, and if my grandchildren are still here, by the time they go, they're going to go to a brand new high school. East Longmeadow's going to have one. Longmeadow has one. We have to have one, right? If Longmeadow developed, if, if Longmeadow put a new ice cream stand, East Longmeadow would have to have a new ice cream stand. Just the way it is. The, the one claim to fame we have is that our Dunkin' and our Starbucks are bigger than Longmeadow's. So take that. But I have no problem understanding that my, my, sons, my two youngest sons are going to get a good education in this town. No doubt about it. But I also know this because it's fact. Because my, boy, my two youngest boys have dealt with this. And I have dealt with this over and over and over again. They're going to be looked down upon because they're brown. And this town does not, there is an element of this town that does not take that very well. In fact, my boys, and I've, I've, I've documented, I've, I've shared this with you over and over again. Well, one of the things that I as a pastor need to make sure of is that people of color know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are welcome at new life. I don't care what the town thinks. I don't care what that element of the town thinks. I want people to know, and maybe, just maybe, God is going to use this church to break that mentality and get people to understand, you're wrong. You're incredibly wrong. You are no better than anybody. You are no better than anybody just because your skin is white. In fact, you pretentious people spend money every month to get your skin the same color as theirs. You ever think about that? White people pay a lot of money to tan I'm serious, man. White people pay a lot of money to tan. It just doesn't make sense. And we need to understand, a disclaimer before I tell you who the church is created for, we need to understand that everybody is welcome in church. Unbelievers are welcome in church. Our doors are open to everybody. Everybody is welcome to be here. No one should be kept out. No one is disqualified from attending. And the outreach of the ministry of this church is for everybody. 
The outreach ministry of this church is to reach everybody. But in the practical, functional sense, the church, the local church, is for the church. In the practical sense of the teachings of the Word of God, the local church is for the church. It was established for the church. Born again believers because we are the church. The local church was established by Jesus Christ for born again believers, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, people who have realized that they're sinners, that there's nothing they can do to save themselves, that you cannot be good enough to get to heaven, you can't buy your way to heaven, nothing. You are not good enough to get to heaven. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And by accepting his gift of salvation, by accepting his payment of salvation for your sins, he will give you the gift of eternal life. And you will be what we call born again. We get our name New Life Church from the, uh, the idea of being born again. You're given new life. So born again believers are who the church was established for. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Where do we get that mentality? Where do, we say, where, where do I get scriptural authority to say that the New Testament church is for, is, is for born-again Christians? Acts chapter 2 verse 41. They that gladly received it, those who accepted Jesus Christ, followed him in baptism, not for salvation. Baptism is not about salvation. Baptism, we don't baptize infants here. Baptism doesn't wash away original sin. That's, that is just a, a man-made structure of, the, of a church function. But they, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were given eternal life. And then they followed Jesus in obedience in baptism. And were added to the church. So the only two requirements to, to become a voting member of this church is that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you can give testimony to that fact and that you've been baptized after you accepted Christ as your Savior. And we have a membership class you go through and that's just to explain what we do here. But those are the only two requirements because that's what the Bible says. See, everything we do has to go along with what the Word of God says. But that verse also tells us that the local church was established for believers in Jesus Christ, not the world out there. That doesn't mean that we're not sensitive to seekers. What that means is that what the church does should be centered around building its people. Because the people, remember, what did Jesus say? He, he didn't say, hey, sit in the pews and compel them to come in, right? He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. He said, go out to the world and tell the world about me. Tell the world the gospel message. How beautiful are the feet of those who go and proclaim good news. So the idea of evangelism, the idea of spreading the gospel message is going outside the walls of the church. Inside the walls of the church, this is where we prepare and disciple and teach 
and train and fellowship and grow strong in each other and learn how to love each other and learn how to get along with each other because we all have differences and we all have different ways of doing things. We all come from different aspects and areas of life. Its purpose, the purpose of the local church is to build the body, the collective body, and individual members of the body. So the purpose of the church is to build up the collective body of the church. We do want to grow numerically because as we grow numerically, we have more people to disciple and we, have, we extend our reach. But remember, one of the, one of the statements that we're, we're taking this year is, We want to take care of the depth of our church, and God will take care of the breadth of our church. So inside the walls, we deepen ourselves in our faith. Once we start our Bible studies, our deeper program, that's the idea of deeper, the deeper program on Wednesday nights, we're going to have Awana. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Awana, folks, I'm going to make this statement flat out. If you're a parent of a child that can be in Awana, You need to design your schedule on Wednesday nights so that you and your children can be here for Awana. Because Awana is a great program for kids to have fun and learn about their faith. And it will be a great help to you in raising your children in their faith. It's not not to replace your responsibility as parents, but our job as a church is to come alongside you and help you to give you the tools you need and to help, tra- help, you learn, help you train and teach your children about the Bible. And then we also have the Bible studies. And for the first five weeks, I'm going to be teaching a Bible study. And then we're going to have breakout Bible studies. And all those Bible studies are, are there so that we can all grow deeper in our faith and learn more about our faith. One of the first ones is going to be on prayer how important prayer is. And we said we have a prayer chain here, and, and that's an important tool of this church. Because as we send out prayer requests for each other, we pray, and the Bible says, the effective, fervent prayer of righteous people has great power and effect. So we need to learn what our prayers are all about. We need to learn how to pray. We need to learn what prayer does for us, for others, and for the kingdom of God. The local church is God's vehicle for spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we use the word gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. That's what gospel means. So the church's goal, the church's, God has chosen the church and established the church as the vehicle for spreading the good news. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says... This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. It's our, our responsibility. This is where we, uh, we are the vehicle to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, many people say, well, you know what? I don't really have to be there. You don't have to go to church. We can do church anywhere. I think the most misused verse about church in the New Testament, in the, in the entire Bible, is where two or, th- two or more are gathered together, there am I in their midst. 
People say, well, I can have church anywhere. Two or three of us are together. God said, you know that that verse has nothing to do with church attendance? It has nothing to do with it. Read it in context. In fact, that church, or that verse is all about church discipline. It's not about attending church. That whole passage is about church discipline. Because in, under the Roman law, you need to have at least two witnesses for something to be established in court. And Jesus was saying, if you are going to, if, if you're going to bring an accusation against a brother or sister, there needs to be at least two or three gathered together. So see, it has nothing to do with church attendance. So, when we talk about attending church, is it really important? Does it really matter whether or not people meet here for church? Nowadays, it's, we're being told, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Man, you can, you can, you can join, a, you can watch a church in California and you're, and you're attending church. Is that true? No, it, it's not. It's not. The fact that Paul says come together, the Greek word there used for the phrase come together in English literally means to assemble. It's where the Assemblies of God denomination gets their name, Assembly of God, from the Greek word to assemble. It details that a local church meets together. Now, as soon as I say that, people think I'm going to Hebrews, where, to, where you know, the Bible says uh, in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, let's use another one, because I've told you before that if you're going to say, thus saith the Lord, you need to have some scriptures behind it, right? Not just one, you need to have some scriptures behind it. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul writes, For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church. Now, he goes on to say um, that there are divisions among you. We want to avoid having divisions in church. But what we want to focus on in that passage is where Paul says, I hear that when you come together as a church... In the Greek, he would say, you come together as an ecclesia. Remember a couple weeks ago, I taught about what we get the, where we get the term ecclesia from? Ecclesia, we get the, church, the, the term church from. We get it from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a called out body for a purpose. The church adopted that, that name. It was usually for a legal proceeding or a, a societal matter where the men of the town would come together in an ecclesia to decide a matter. The church adopted that because they were a group that came together for a purpose. You can't come together if you're not in the same spot. Not according, not, not according to what the Word of God teaches. So Paul tells us here that a local church comes together. That's one of the defining factors of a church. I know, folks, I know this is very... It almost seems, it, all, it can almost seem harsh to teach this during COVID right now, right? Because I know that some people can't be here. And, and I hope you understand over the last year as I've taught on this and all the statements I've made that I'm not trying to guilt people into being in church. I believe we can meet safely. We have for a year. We've been meeting safely here. Other churches are doing it. If you can go to the grocery store, you can go to church. My boys go to school every day now. You go to school every day. 
And people are so hungry in East Longmeadow for their kids to go to school. East Longmeadow is opening back up um, April, it's April 4th, I believe. They're opening back up. They're going away from, they, they're cutting out the hybrid model completely. And so many people have opted in to have their kids go back live that the principal of our, our son's school sent out an email saying that they won't be having ch- uh, school on the computer anymore. It's all going to be live. People want, listen, if your kids can go back to school, you can go to church. If your kids can sign up for soccer, <laughs> you can go to church. I know some people can't. I get it. I understand that. I know some people are, they're, they're in those categories where it's, it's smart not to go out and decide until you get vaccinated. I will say this, vaccines are coming out. Sign up, get your vaccine. All I've been hearing for the last year, when we get the vaccine, when we get the vaccine, when we got the vaccine, get the vaccine. And let's get this behind us. But let's get back to the business of meeting together as a church. Because that's one of the qualities and qualifiers of a local church, that we meet together. You can't deny that fact. And the fact that Jesus addresses seven individual churches, and Paul wrote to many different churches, teaches that the local church is God's design. Revelation 1.4, it says, John to the seven churches in Asia. Seven specific individual local churches Jesus had a message for. In 1 Corinthians 7.17, Paul writes, Let each one live his life in the situation that the Lord has assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches, plural. If he was only talking about one church, it would say, he would say in the church, but he wasn't talking about one church. He said in all the churches. So there are local churches, and local churches are God's design. And you being part of a local church, an active part of a local church, is God's plan for you. Knowing all of this, your loyalty should be to your local church. Not to me. Please, don't misunderstand me. Don't misconstrue that. I am not saying your loyalty should be to me as the pastor. That is not it. I am just a man. I am human. Listen, I tell you, you don't even have to call me pastor if you don't want to. Call me John. My mom and dad named me John. That's what I answer to. When, when it's time for dinner, it's John. When I order it somewhere and they want a name, it's John. It's not Pastor John, it's John. So you don't want to call me pastor, that's fine with me, I don't care. I don't want to be lifted up. I don't want to be made something more than I am. I am simply the pastor of this church. I don't deserve your loyalty as a follower. Do you understand that? I might, I might, have, I might earn your, your loyalty as a friend. I might earn your loyalty as a leader. But that's different than lifting me up and pledging loyalty to me. Your loyalty should be to your local church. Because your local church, hopefully you've joined a local church that ministers and leads and does the things it does according to the word of God. Therefore, by loyalty, I mean your attendance should be to your local church. Your financial responsibility of giving 
should be to your local church. I know nowadays there's a lot of parachurch organizations out there, and parachurch organizations are simply organizations that are outside of a local church. I'll be very honest with you. Parachurch organizations are not biblical. They're just not. The Bible has clearly defined that everything be done through a local church. That's why we have a missions program. We support uh, the Alsips, who are missionaries with MANA. And they, go th they, they uh, work throughout Asia with missionaries in Asia to establish feeding centers. And those feeding centers feed children, but one of, the one of the requirements of those children being part of those feeding centers is that they come to classes. And those classes teach the gospel. They teach the Bible. And they bring kids to Christ. Did you know that MANA, the MANA organization, has, actually, has ab actually been asked to come and start feeding centers in Muslim communities around the world? They don't care what they teach as long as they're going to feed their children. I'm on board with something like that. The next group, the next missionaries that I want to present to the church to take on as the giving increases and, and we're able to support another missionary is the McCombs in Paraguay. You know what their ministry is? I love this ministry. Their ministry is working with orphans through the DCF program in the country of Paraguay. Love it. They're working with those, they're, they're finding homes, they're finding, um, uh, they're connecting uh, orphaned children, they still call them orphans in Paraguay, you get slapped for saying that here in America, but they, they take orphan children and connect them with Christian homes so that they're taking the least of these of their society and giving them a Christian home to live in. And they're working with the parents of these children to tell them about Jesus and to share with them the gospel while working with the government and working with the governmental programs and sharing the gospel with the leaders of the government. Man, that's a ministry I can get on board with. That's a ministry that I can really have my church lead, try to get my church to support because I think that is the gospel going out. Your fellowship should be in your local church. One of the great things I love about New Life, when we're cranking and we're kicking, <laughs> man, we can't, get people to, we can't get people to come into service because they're talking out there and we can't get people to leave the property after Sunday because they just want to stay together. I love that. I love that, man. Getting around God's, getting to know God's people. These, this should be your family. As we get into this message more, you're going to see where the Bible calls us a family. We're a body, the family of God. The Bible says when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. The whole body feels it. We should have those relationships. So your fellowship should be, not, not the only place, because we still need to reach the world, but there should be people that you are connected to through faith in your local church. And those of us who are established, listen, we're seeing a lot of new, we, over the last few years and even the last few months, we've seen a lot of new people come in. Those of us who are established new lifers, one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to have one service on Easter, and it's going to be tough because today we were, today we'd have been, I think we'd have might have, we might have had a trouble today keeping distance if two services were together because the we, crowds of the two services would have put us at capacity. I'm looking forward to that problem on Easter Sunday. I'm telling you, man, 
I'm excited. I'm, I, Easter Sunday, I want to have coffee. I want, we can't do it. But I do. I want to have, I want to do it. I want to, I want to do it all. I want to do everything we used to do. But I'm excited for Easter Sunday because we're all going to be together again for at least one service. And it's going to be beautiful because, especially in this church, you can't shut people up, man. <laughs> people just want to talk and fellowship, and it's sweet and it's wonderful. That's a good, that's a mark of a local church. And your spiritual growth should be supported by and through your local church. This should be the good ground. This should be good soil for your life. This should be a place where seeds are planted. This should be a place where your faith is watered, where your faith is challenged, where you learn new things. I know I do. And this should be a place where your faith grows. That's what a local New Testament church is all about. We're going to stop right there. You can read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 on your own because we're a little bit over time. I did it again. I did it again. Good, re good thing there's not a third service because it would be a traffic jam out there again. But, uh, but thanks, for, thanks for, uh, for sticking with it through this, this whole message. And next week we're going to talk more about uh, the body of Christ and the universal church, what those are, and how we interconnect with other churches. I had a, I had a lunch this past Wednesday with, uh, I think, it was either five or six other pastors. And it was, oh man, it's so good to sit down with other brothers and, and talk about what's been going on and how they've been enduring. But we're going to talk about the network of the universal church. And I know I said that in a Baptist church, universal church and what that means. Okay? It's not a, it's not a swear word. But we'll explain it, and we'll get into that more, okay? Thanks for being here this morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being here today and for the truth of your word. And Father, thank you for your teaching and, and how it just can jump out to us and, and apply to us so much. God, I pray that we'll take what you have written and what we've heard, and I pray that it will matter to us, Lord. I pray that we'll, uh, we'll dissect it and we'll let it, kind of marinate in our lives, and we'll learn. Not be offended, but we'll learn. God bless us as we go from here today. Lord, it's been so good to be in church today. It's been good medicine. Thank you so much. Thank you for these people who have, God, who have just gone against, they've gone counterculture, Lord, and they're here. I love it. Thank you, Father, for these, for these faithful people, for both, both services. Lord, I pray that a special blessing on them. Lord, watch over those who can't be with us right now, and I pray that you, they'll be able to get to a point where they are able to be back here soon. In your name we pray. Amen.